District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. If you hunt in the Commonwealth of Virginia, you're probably familiar with the battle over right to retrieve and property rights. Today's featured guest, Andrew Poland, is going to break down a lawsuit from the Pacific Legal Foundation against the Department of Wildlife Resources, our state wildlife agency, over excesses of the law and possible violations to property rights and landowner rights here in Virginia when certain houndsmen, those who hunt with dogs, abuse the right to retrieve statute, which is embedded in Virginia law since 1938, and what the implications of that are. Plus, we're going to extol the virtues of hound hunting and talk about when it is done correctly. It actually is a really cool form of hunting and so much more. You don't want to miss our conversation, but Andrew Pollan is a volunteer firefighter. He's a lifelong houndsman. We also know each other through center-right political circles here in the Commonwealth. And I thought he was the best person to come on and talk about this very pressing topic. So here's my conversation with Andrew Poland about right to retrieve in the upcoming legal battle about it and whether or not we will see some changes from the General Assembly going forward. Hi, everyone. We have a special Virginia-themed episode for you today. We're going to be talking to Andrew Poland, who I've been connected to for a while. We work in similar circles in politics and a little bit in conservation. And he posted a really interesting story hearkening back to kind of one of the biggest controversial forms of hunting in Virginia to outsiders, especially and those in Virginia know about the kind of the right to retrieve hunting with dogs and the different caveats with that. But we're going to explore a story relating to it. Why dog hunting is such an integral part of Virginia hunting culture and other things. So Andrew, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Could you explain to my listeners, not from Virginia, what dog hunting essentially is. So there's a, a variety of forms of dog hunting. Um, in this case, they're referring to uh, deer, but you could use dogs to hunt for, um, there's bear hounds, foxhounds, foxhound. Um, the tradition of foxhound hunting goes back hundreds and hundreds of years in, in Virginia tradition. Um, some people may use um, beagles for rabbits. Um, some people use labs and other dogs for um, ducks um, setters or pointers, or even labs for, um, uh, upland game birds in Virginia. There's there, if, if there's hunting in Virginia, there's probably people that use dogs to do it. And, um, it's not that it's not un- necessarily unethical. It's just, um, it's more about the companionship, I believe between the person and the dog and the amount of work that goes into training that dog and, um, the genetics and, and, and upbringing of these dogs. And, um, and that, that's that's particularly why I love it. I could I could enjoy hunting without dogs. Obviously, I I would still um, fill my freezer and I would still spend time with my family and friends and enjoy the outdoors. But dogs presents a different aspect to it and a challenge. And I enjoy working the dogs. And a lot of people um, grew up um, watching their fathers and grandfathers and and um, you know just becoming houndsmen as we call them. I have seen that a little bit with beagling in Maryland. And then obviously I've hunted with dogs for waterfowl. 
hunting, but I haven't experienced it either with bear hunting or deer hunting. And I know for some outsiders, they're like, oh my gosh, how can you hunt this? And then some hunters like, well, this is unethical, but I've seen it work and the companionship with the dogs, especially through folks like you. And I know some other people in West Virginia who hunt with hounds and they call themselves houndsmen. And this is going back to, I think, a greater conversation especially with this article you posted from the Times Dispatch about the right to retrieve law. I want you to explain what that is momentarily, but for context, Virginia General Assembly, I think first put this law to the books according to the article in 1938. But like you mentioned, hound hunting has been in existence for over 400 years since the Commonwealth's founding essentially. But could you explain to my listeners what right to retrieve is and kind of the controversies attached to it before we talk about this lawsuit that was filed. Okay. And yeah, the story I think is a little disingenuous because it mentions in the story that um, these property owners um, recognized that there were dogs on their property. And then it, then it goes into the fact that these folks were hunting their property. So it's important to understand that the right to retrieve and hunting or trespassing or casting your dogs onto someone else's property are very different subjects. Trespassing, hunting without permission, casting your dogs onto someone else's property is illegal. And um, those, those folks should be charged if they're doing that. Um, the, the, the right to retrieve is when you cast your dogs on a, another property somewhere where you have permission, where you should be. And those dogs may cross property lines. And you have the right to, to retrieve them. Um, now, we can discuss whether or not the, um, the hunter should co contact the landowner. I believe they should. But I will, I will give you the, the law. When the chase begins on other lands, uh, may follow their dogs on prohibited lands or lands that are marked with no or posted signs or no trespassing. And hunters of all other game, when the chase begins on other lands, may go upon prohibited lands to retrieve their dogs, falcons, hawks, or owls. There are people that still hunt with um, falcons and hawks. Um, but they may not carry a firearm or a bow or arrows on their person or in their possession and hunt any game while they're there. Um, the use of vehicles to retrieve dogs, falcons, hawks, or owls are also prohibited. So, the, and if you're going to go onto someone's land with your vehicle, you have to have their permission. So this is, this is someone recognizing with this GPS device right here that their dog is on a piece of property that they do not have permission to be on. And they are allowed to walk in there on foot without a firearm, without a weapon. They're able to retrieve their dog and leave immediately. Um, now, with that said, the article also goes into detail about how the, um, the folks contacted Department of Wildlife Resources, and they were told that there's nothing they could do. Again, disingenuous, um, but it does say, the law does state that pursuant to this section, anyone who willfully refuses to identify themselves when requested by the landowner or his agent is guilty of a class four misdemeanor. So there's more to the law than what the article states, but I do think the law is, is troublesome when it comes to um, property rights. And that is what prompted you. I'm going to read for you, my listeners kind of your commentary on a post you made on May 11th. You say, I'm an avid dog hunter. And this is in response to the Times Dispatch article, Richmond Times Dispatch article called Private Property Owners Sue Over Virginia's Hunting Dog Law. And you say, I'm an avid dog hunter and have never had a single issue with the landowner because we don't trespass on others' properties and I control my dogs. There's a legitimate property rights argument to be made here. And unfortunately, thanks to all of the idiot 
hunt clubs who trespass without regard and use the right to retrieve excuse, they will have ruined the tradition of hunting with dogs for everyone else who's worked hard to do the right thing. And this is prompting a lawsuit by landowners with the help of Pacific Legal Foundation, which is a conservative property rights organization. And the article says the lawsuit asks the court for a judgment declaring that the law take the plaintiff's property rights without compensation. I'm sorry, takes the plaintiff's property, private property without compensation for public use, a violation of the state constitution and the fifth amendment to the U.S. constitution. So you think because of just some of the blatant disregard by some dog hunters that they can ruin it and that there's also grounds for this lawsuit. So break those down, those two concepts down for, for us, please. Number one, the property rights aspect of it, whether anybody had, had gone on anybody else's property or not, um, whether there was something that precipitated this, this lawsuit, I do think the law is, is um, troublesome in the, in the aspect that they, that they discussed the property rights. You, you, you genuinely are on someone else's property without their permission. And I, I definitely believe that's unconstitutional. So as a, as a, as a conservative and as a constitutionalist, you have to recognize that um, your the rights that you believe you have for you and your dog do not supersede the property rights that another landowner has, regardless of where you live, where they moved from. It doesn't matter. Um, property rights are property rights, and we have to recognize that, right? Um, so beyond that, I believe that the law tr- kind of struck a balance between um, hunt clubs that were just simply trying to get their dogs. And if, if you know, if they're, for example, um, you know, you're in a large block of woods and you, you know, your dog's in there. Um, you just simply walk in there and get it. Most landowners won't care. Um, and I've never had an issue with a landowner ever where I live at and where we hunted at, but there are, there are, um, hunt clubs out there and I've seen them every, everybody that's hunt, that hunts has seen these folks that will stand in the road and sometimes with a gun and say, you know, definitely trespassing and say, well, I'm just here to retrieve my dogs. And that, that gets old really quick. Um, there's people, there's hunt clubs that invest tons of money in leasing property. There's landowners that have tons of money tied up in property and maybe they manage their property for the, for wild game. Um, there's just, there's so many, there's so many people out there that get frustrated with these, these hunt clubs, although they're few and far between, they do exist. And now we have lawsuits such as this. So I don't, I don't necessarily blame the general assembly or hunters or landowners for supporting this law, but when people abuse it, there has to be consequences. And and here we are. And this has been coming for many, many, many years. And obviously this is not an indictment of the Virginia department of wildlife resources. I personally really, really like our state agency and they're just merely enforcing the law. And Ryan Brown is quoted as saying that both sides of the debate have vested interests with the hunters being very interested in the protection of hunting dogs and real property owners being interested in protection of their rights as landowners. That is what he's quoted as saying. So they know the caveats and the controversy. So this is not an indictment of them. Like they just have to, they're merely just enforcing the law. And I think perhaps I can't speak for the agency, but I suppose that they may welcome some reforms to offer greater clarity, but talk about our agency. And you, you mentioned before we went on the air, you know, the executive director quite well. I, I, I grew up with Ryan Brown. He's a great guy. Um, if, if he says it, I believe it. I mean, he's that kind of man. Um, I think, and I have lots of friends that work for game inland fisheries. I think they do great work. I don't think they get the um, the respect that they deserve. I don't. I don't think right. that we acknowledge often acknowledge the amount of work that they actually put in 
and it's not just about hunting what they do they do so much for for conservation um and for the environment in in this state um so yeah if and, and ryan grew up hunting and I, he if, if anybody understands both sides of this it's him so i, I do believe that that um he will find or he's going to follow the law because it's his job but i do believe that um he understands both sides of it and i believe that he's honest in his comments is there an appetite by the general assembly to reform this right to retrieve law from 1938 you think now going forward if this lawsuit you know is ruled in a certain way do you think it would force the general assembly to account for that and and reshape the law i think so and i know i remember um i guess it was 2011 or 20 might have been 2012 somewhere in there um the right to retrieve law was was uh, very controversial in virginia in fact um, then state Senator Tom Garrett took a lot of heat for this because, um, he was widely supported in, in the rural areas. And then he voted against the right to retrieve. And we had a, we it took us a long time to explain to hunters that supported him. Um, and that may, may one day support me and may not agree with what I'm saying right now, but you have to, you have to recognize folks' property rights before you recognize the fact that um, you enjoy hunting with dogs and you want to retrieve your dog. I mean, there's a legitimate argument to be made there um, for property rights. And, uh, you know, I, I think Tom's vote then was, was right um, to, to oppose this. And if I was in the same, the same shoes as him, I would have opposed it as well. Um, I think that this will, this will create a um, situation where this law will have to be I probably just removed altogether. Um, but the other point I want to make is, if, if, if this law is no longer in existence, it's not going to stop hunting with dogs. That is something that I think the General Assembly has had an appetite for in the past. We only, House Bill 1900, only failed by, uh, I think, one vote, if I remember correctly. So they, they, people have tried to altogether stop dog hunting in Virginia on many occasions. Um, I do not think that this is a way to advance that. I think this is a, a separate issue altogether. Um, the problem is, is that the anti hunters that are out there and there's a lot of them, they try to combine the two into one and they try to paint dog hunters as, um, you know, uh, animal abusers, um, and, 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 uh, rednecks and, and, you know, whatever you people may say about dog hunters and most of which is not true. Um, but I do think it gives this argument gives them an opportunity to combine the two and make a stronger point. Yeah, to certainly exploit the division within dog hunting circles to say, see, it's so inhumane. They don't have their act together. And this is why we have to do it. And I've seen them try to ban um, either hunting or even just like dog trainings it, relating to Yukonuba and, and not even hunting with dogs, but any activity involving like uh, tethering of dogs or having dogs stay outside. And I'm not probably articulating it well, but I'm familiar with them trying to go after uh, kind of recreational use of dogs, even outside of hunting too. So they'll use it to say, well, this is animal cruelty to use them for these exploits. So yes, they'll use any opportunity exploiting schisms to say, see, all of this is bad in practice, but let's talk about, let's kind of end on a positive note. So make the case for why dog hunting, even with the controversies and even with some bad actors, why do you think it's going to have a lasting, let's say, legacy here in Virginia? And, and what are you doing, personally speaking, to educate people in our Commonwealth about the virtues of it and why it's a good practice and should be kind of in the 
grand scheme of things of hunting that is permitted in the state for certain species? So num- number one, you, you hit on this a moment ago. There are there's so many breeds of dogs out there, whether it be beagles or hounds, or in my case, I have Llewellyn setters. I have five of them. Um, and my question for the, those folks would be, the, you know, the anti-hunting people or the, or the, uh, the, um, the people that are considering a dog hunting inhumane. What would you want my dog to do? My dog has literally been bred for hundreds of years to hunt. And, you know, and they're high energy, high strung. They have got to get out and run. I believe that it would be inhumane to not use them for hunting. Even if you never shoot anything in front of them, that is what they're bred to do. That's they have to have a job. And anybody that understands dogs and working dogs, I think would agree. Um, so for, I have five Llewellyn setters right now and they have 12 acres invisible fence. And, um, if they do not get out once a day, they're losing their minds. They have to get out and point butterflies and chase squirrels and do whatever. And then come hunting season, um, the every day, every day that I can, we're hunting, we're, we're chasing deer, turkey, they'll run bears, coyotes. Um, yeah, we, and we hunt all of, all of rifle season, general firearm season, and then we fall turkey hunt with them. And then we bird hunt with them. We go to ore packs and Rastawek and they'll point, um, they'll point quail and pheasant. And sometime around here, we'll hunt woodcock, woodcock with them. So these dogs are working eight months of the year. And when they're not working, they're family pets. Um, so I would suggest that anything, any use of that dog otherwise would be, would be inhumane. And with that said, um, I've never experienced an issue with the landowner because I believe that I grew up hunting with people that are respectful of other folks' land, just as I would expect other people to be respectful of my land. Um, I don't want to look out my front porch and see lights pulling into my field and see people walking in to get their dogs without asking me first, because I don't know what they're there to do. So I understand that argument and, and I, and I agree with it. Um, but teaching the next generation to do this properly, um, kind of policing ourselves. If we, when we see hunt clubs that are, um, that are being disrespectful, that are breaking the law, then we have an obligation, I think, to, um, to, to tell our, our, <clears throat> our conservation uh, police officers, we have a good relationship with ours. He's fantastic. When we see something, we let him know we have a fantastic relationship. We can text or call him. If he's not at work, he gives us the number of someone to call. Um, but I think it's going to take hunters literally policing other hunters to, to bring a stop to this. And, and there's just not enough conservation police officers. And if you call the local sheriff's officer, the local police department, most of the time they're going to refer those issues unless there's, um, you know, a crime taking place, an active crime taking place, they're going to refer those issues to the conservation police officers anyways. And there's just not enough of them to go around. So policing our own. And just like I said before, bringing up, I'm bringing my daughter hunting, my 11 year old, teaching her that there's a right way to do this, that there's a respectful way to do this, that there's a lot of tradition in it and building relationships with landowners. Um, I think that's probably the, the route to take rather than the route that we see a lot of people take is, uh, to hell with them. I'll hunt wherever I want to hunt. And there are people that are, that still do that. And that's why we are where we are. Yeah. The scorched earth approach is never healthy. And especially with hunters trying to rehabilitate the image of the sport. We have, I think 254,000 hunters. I read in that article and I need to circle back with those statistics, but over a quarter or a, a quarter of a million people in Virginia hunting, I hope we can increase those numbers. But I think also um, you can have people like me in the media come and see this. And I know we've talked offline about me 
trying my hand at it for some deer and, and maybe some woodcock down the road. And I would love to do it. And, and we could do a longer video format, even exploring all of this, the politics, the dogs, flushing the birds, uh, living their best lives and, and talking about why this is so ingrained in Virginia heritage. But Andrew, and people, would, yeah, go ahead. On clubs. Um, you know, there, there's so many resources out there for hunt clubs. I, I showed you earlier my Garmin and I have uh, uh, collars for each of my dogs. There's so many resources that if they, you know, if you're going to hunt with these dogs and you're going to invest in this sport, then you need to invest in the, in the dog. And that includes, it's expensive, but purchasing equipment that lets you know where they are at all times. Now, um, there are folks that I know around here, I, I can hit a button on my GPS device and my bird dogs will come right back to my feet every time. I can keep track of them. I can use that device to set up a geofence. I can literally outline the property and or outline the area that I'm hunting. And if the dog gets close to that fence, it'll notify me that geofence and I can send them a tone and they'll come right back to me. So for a lot of hunters, this comes down to in, investing financially and investing your time in your dogs and making sure that and that's part of being a houndsman, being able to control your dogs from going on other people's property. Um, and then I, I know people that have, have you know long-legged hounds that can literally do the same thing I can with my bird dogs and there's so there's people out there that are doing it and doing it right there's rabbit hunters everybody know has that knows rabbit hunters their dogs aren't running you know multiple parcels of property away they they're listening to their to the uh, to the owner and they have the same devices we have so I think a lot of it comes down to just investing in the dog investing time in the dog um, and and building relationships and and with the adjoining property owners and hopefully um, respecting their property. Absolutely. And we have a lot of great species to hunt. We cannot hunt our new species that's available for hunting. We can't hunt elk with dogs, but whenever we have trespassers who become poachers, it is terrible for, for everyone. And it, it hurts our ability to hunt down the road. So I'm very grateful to you, especially as a dog hunter, sounding the alarm of this, pointing out bad actors, extolling the virtues of dog hunting. Andrew, where can my listeners connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Um, you can connect with me on Facebook, um, just Andrew Pullen, or you could always uh, shoot me an email. Um, but and, and again, remember this, that there are people that poach. Most poaching occurs without dogs um spotlighting stuff like that and then there are people that own dogs that that are that own and keep them in inhumane conditions that aren't dog hunters so these these things are issues regardless of hunt you know dog hunters they're they're still issues and we should all work together to um you know to challenge those folks and, and to make sure that they're held accountable insightful remarks thank you andrew so much for joining the podcast i will defer everyone to resources and links. They can study the law. They can learn more about dog hunting and we'll share pictures on social media. Thank you, Andrew, so much for coming on District of Conservation. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast player. We recommend Apple Podcasts, where over 60% of our listenership hails from. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, which don't really populate, but follow us on social media to make sure you never miss a beat or a guest announcement. You can also find us on CFAC's website under District of Conservation under my profile, Gabriella Hoffman, to catch up on all different past episodes there. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple or wherever podcasts are played. Share the links, leave your reviews, and tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening today. Stay tuned for more District of Conservation episodes.